good morning to everyone. Happy New Year to everyone. How come when Nathan says good morning, everybody says good morning, but when I say it, nobody says good morning, everyone? There we go. Okay. He's, he's getting my nerves a little bit. Like, he's the favorite. Anyway, hey, so glad you're here today, uh, especially if it's your first time, maybe your first time in a very long time. I haven't said this to everybody yet. Might be a little late, but Happy New Year to those of you. Uh, joining us today. Thanks for taking some time out of your weekend, out of the start of your new year to join us here at West Bowles. Uh, hope your 2018 is off to a great start. I know it is for a, a couple of people. We asked David Perez to come up here before because he was going to help us collect money. I thought it was for something different than the baby bottles because you see a few weekends ago, uh, he proposed to his girlfriend, Grace Burns, and she actually said yes. And so I thought David was collecting money for the wedding, but but maybe, maybe you took one for you, one for the babies. Okay, whatever, not your, anyway, oh, that was awkward. Okay, um, but congratulations. We're so proud of you guys. David's our youth minister here. We love him dearly, and soon he will be a, a team. He will be a pair, and so we're excited, so excited about that. Hey, uh, to kick off the new year, we thought what better way to do that as a church than to jump into a gospel together, to spend some time focusing on Jesus, to fix our minds and our hearts and our eyes on this one who we claim is the reason that we live and the hope for eternal life. And so we're doing that in a series we've entitled Remarkable, three and a half years that, that changed everything. And I'm excited to walk through the book of Mark with you over the next couple of months. It's going to be a great, a great series. Before we do that, we're going to uh, take an offering up right now. I'm going to ask the ushers to come on down and help us with the offering. Uh, I want to let you guys know a couple of things. Uh, as the ushers pass the plates, I want to let you know how incredibly grateful I am for many of the year-end gifts that you guys gave uh, there at the end of 2017. I know that I harped on money so much at the end of the year. A few friends even told me, I'm sick of you talking about money. Uh, but thank you guys so much for your generosity. We really finished the year off strong. We were asking for a double portion over the course of uh, December, and many of you came through with that. So we finished off, financially speaking, in a really great place. So thank you. Uh, the staff has a little bit of peace. Uh, the eldership and leadership has some excitement, uh, some anticipation leading into the next year. And so thank you guys so much for your generosity last year. If you weren't able to give as much as you had hoped last year, well, hey, it's a new year. Start right now. Here we go again. Uh, we would love to keep this place going, keep the lights on, and keep shining the light of Christ in this community. So again, here's our offering. But thank you guys so much. I just want to thank you and just say I appreciate you so much, your generosity. It was amazing in December. The elders, the staff, everybody says thanks. All right, well, let me uh, pray for us as you're passing the plates, and we'll uh, continue this morning. God, thank you so much for who you are. Would you speak to us now? Would you help us to start this new year off right, fixed on you, focused on you? Make it so now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the most remarkable thing you've ever seen? I know it's a rather random question, and one you might need more than three seconds uh, to answer, but I want you to think about it. I want you to think of a time when you witnessed or watched, when you read about or heard about something that was so incredible, right? It made your mouth drop, made your eyes turn to saucers, as they say, and you couldn't say anything. And even if you could, it was just like a, whoa, whoa. Can you think back to a moment like that? Maybe for you, the most remarkable thing revolves around sports. Uh, maybe you're old enough to, um, to remember Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game. Maybe you watched the U.S. Olympic team beat Russia for the gold medal in hockey in the 1980 Olympics. 
Speaking of Olympics, maybe you uh, watched Michael Phelps win countless gold medals in the pool. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe uh, you remember it, uh, watching Michael Jordan hit clutch shot after clutch shot on the court. Or maybe you watched Tiger Woods chip in impossible shot after impossible shot on the course. Maybe it was sports. Just, whoa, that was an incredible, remarkable moment. For others, maybe the most remarkable thing you've ever seen uh, was an act of sportsmanship. Maybe it was the high school team that helped an opposing player with autism score the game-winning points in the championship game. Maybe it was that woman's softball team who years ago carried an opponent around the bases after she hit a home run but also blew out her knee at the same time. Or maybe some of you remember Jim Redmond when he carried his son Derek across the finish line in the 1992 Summer Olympics after Derek tore his hamstring halfway through the race. Instead of an act of sportsmanship, maybe the most remarkable thing you've ever seen is an act of courage. Maybe it was the bravery of Desmond Doss, recently depicted in the movie Hacksaw Ridge, the man who single-handedly rescued 75 of his fellow soldiers. Maybe it was the story of, of Louis Zemperini, told in the movie Unbroken, a man who went from Olympian to war hero to stranded at sea to POW. I told John he had to watch that movie, and I'm going to tell you all you have to watch that movie as well. And then he texted me later that night and said, I'm never going to listen to you ever again because I feel so bad right now. It doesn't end as well as I would hope, but you gotta watch the movie. Unbroken, Louis Zamperini. Maybe it's the story of first responders. We have many stories in our country, do we not? Of men and women, brave men and women who run into danger, run into burning buildings, run into trouble when everybody else runs out. Maybe the most remarkable thing you've ever seen is something in nature. Maybe it's a, uh, one of the wonders of the world. Or maybe it's just a great sacrifice that somebody made of time or money. They did a lot to help save or, or bring life to somebody else. This world is truly full of remarkable stories, remarkable moments, remarkable people, is it not? And if you were to ask a young man named Mark, a young man who thousands of years ago walked with Jesus, if you were to ask him, what's the most remarkable thing, Mark, that you have ever seen? I think Mark would look at you Maybe he'd shake his head and he'd say, well, how much time you got? How much time you got? Because you see, Mark saw so many remarkable things. According to the book he wrote, appropriately titled by his name, the book of Mark, for three and a half years, he saw Jesus do things that would make everything else I just mentioned seem ordinary and rather commonplace. All right, now there are four books in the Bible that recount the life and teachings of Jesus. We call these books the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the shortest of the four of those Gospels, possibly the oldest, and it is by far the most action-packed. Uh, unlike the other three, Mark doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about certain things. There's no small talk here. There's no symbolism at the beginning. He doesn't mention Jesus' birth or go into his family tree or his lineage in any way. It is straight into the action for him. And that's because Mark wants to prove something to us. He wants to prove to us that Jesus is by far the most remarkable man to have ever lived. Everything about this man is utterly and truly remarkable. Oh, sure, 100 points in a basketball game, and that's, that's awesome. Desmond Doss's story, yes, he is a hero. The Swiss Alps are designed to take your breath away. I'll give you that. But nothing, nothing in all of human history, eternity past or even eternity future, nothing compares to what Jesus did, to who Jesus was, to what he was able to accomplish. According to Mark, 
Jesus did things that were impossible. These things were inconceivable. He did things that defy logic, did things that defy the laws of nature. He did things you can't make up, that you can't even imagine. The world had never seen anything like this before. They haven't seen anything like it since. We read the stories of Jesus, right? We're like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Then we kind of take another sip of our Starbucks latte, right? Mark witnessed these things and he said, wait, are you, are you kidding me? Did that just happen? That has never happened before. And the fact that it just took place, that changes everything. The fact that it's possible now, that changes everything. And so over the next couple of months, we're going to put ourselves in Mark's shoes. We're going to ask God to show us, afresh and anew. Show us how remarkable Jesus is. Show us how truly remarkable this man is. We aren't going to necessarily read every story or every verse in the book together, but we are going to read enough to hopefully open our eyes to see just how amazing Jesus is. And I want it to solidify our faith in him as we begin the new year. All right, so let's dive into it. Mark chapter one. As I mentioned before, uh, Mark doesn't waste any time setting up the storyline. He immediately starts off by introducing us to someone, a man named John the Baptist. Now, John isn't just some religious scholar or teacher sitting around contemplating things. He's actually very busy out baptizing people. See, John is the fulfillment of a prophecy, a prophecy that was made thousands of years before John was even born. A prophet named Isaiah said, there's gonna come right before Jesus comes a man Someone who's going to prepare the way for him, prepare hearts, prepare minds, tell everybody to get ready for something. And that's what, that's what John is doing. He is the fulfillment of this prophecy, and he's, he's doing it, though, in a rather unconventional way. The text tells us that John's kind of a wild man of sorts. He's a prophet that wore and ate and said really strange things, but people flocked to him. Let me show you what I mean. Mark 1, verses 4 and 8. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized so that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone's coming soon who's, who's greater than I am, so much greater, I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I'm baptizing you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the very first thing Mark tells us as he jumps into the story of Jesus. I think what he's trying to do is right here off the bat, he's trying to tell us something is different about Jesus. You have to know this. As we dive into the story of this man, something is very different about him. He is doing incredible things. John is. He's having an incredible influence on people. It says hundreds and thousands of people are flocking to him. He has this incredible message. But John says, no, 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 no. Nothing I am doing is incredible compared to what's about to happen, compared to who's about to show up. Everything I'm doing, John says, although it's having a great influence, fails in comparison to the influence and impact of Jesus. And isn't that what he says? I'm not even worthy. You guys hold me in high esteem? No, 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 no. I'm not even worthy to touch this man's shoes. That's how big of a deal he is. John says, remarkable? Oh, no, 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 no. You haven't seen anything yet. Someone is coming who is truly remarkable. This is further established as the gospel continues. Mark 1, verse 9, continuing. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. The spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Like many of you, I have pretty fond memories of my baptism, but I do not remember the heavens splitting apart and a voice ushering down saying, you're my son and I'm so proud of you. And I think my mom might have been like whispering that in the back of the sanctuary. I, I hope she was saying something like that. But nothing like what happened to Jesus at his baptism happened to me. And, and I've baptized a lot of people over my time in, in the ministry, and I've never seen anything like that happen to anybody else either. And Mark's trying to again prove the point. Jesus is special. Jesus is so unique. There's never been a man like him before. John is trying to tell us about it, and now God is trying to tell us about it. This is my son, the heavens split open. You bring me so much joy, it says. So even at his baptism, everything is different with this man. Everything is going to be different because of this man. And it seems like here at the beginning of the gospel that, that, Matt, or that Jesus is just this kind of rogue warrior, and he's just going out and he's doing all these things by himself. And there's, there's some truth to that. Here at the beginning of the gospel, he had to do some things alone, he had to be baptized. That was kind of an individual thing he had to do. He had to battle Satan, it says. It was funny about his, his story of baptism. Right? After my baptism, I remember going out to eat. Jesus' baptism, he like goes out in the desert and doesn't eat for 40 days. See the difference? Like Jesus is very different from us. Everything he does and touches and says, it's like, wait, that's not, that's not how I remember it being for me. But that, that's Mark's point. And so, okay, he was doing some things individually speaking here at the beginning, but that's all gonna change. He had to take care of some things on his own, but now, now he's going to invite other people to be a part of this. He's going to invite some folks to come alongside him, to follow him. He's going to say, I don't want to do all of this remarkable stuff by myself. I want you to do it with me. But I'm not just going to read the story to you. I want to show you what this might have looked like. Check this out. Do you need help? I'm not looking for any help. And besides, there's nothing to help with. Climb into my boat. Yeah, you're right. Give me a helping hand. What do you think you're doing? We're going fishing. There are no fish out there this time of day. In fact, there are no fish out here any time of day. Peter, just give me an hour, and I will give you a whole new life. Who says I want one? I tell you, 
There's no fish out there. Did this happen? What did you do? I'm giving you the chance to change your life. Peter, come with me. Give up catching fish and I will make you a fisher of man. What are we gonna do? the world. I'm just going to say it now. If you guys are on your best behavior, maybe we could watch a Broncos game on the screen next year. Okay, I'm just going to just, just throw that out there. But think about this with me, friends. There have been some great characters throughout history who liked or preferred to work alone. Right, you have Hans Solo, the Lone Ranger. And then of course you got this guy, Batman. Teamwork, I don't believe in teamwork because Batman always works alone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now Jesus easily could have worked alone. We've seen in the beginning of the gospel, right? He can do things all by himself that are so extraordinary. But in this moment, he's showing us he doesn't want to do the remarkable alone. Although Jesus easily could have done things all by himself, he is looking to involve and include others. Let me say that again. Although Jesus could have easily done things all by himself, he is looking to involve and include others. Mark tells us before Jesus began his public ministry, he invited certain men to come, to join him, to participate. I love how the video depicted that conversation. Peter, come, follow me, and we are going to change the world together. Right, this isn't an invitation to just sit and listen. It's not an invitation to just come to church. It's not an invitation to come watch a performance. It's an invitation to be involved to be an intricate, important part of all that God has planned, all that God has in store for this world. He wants to do the remarkable with you. He wants to do the remarkable through you. That's Mark's point right off the bat. This man is so special. He's so unique. John is telling us that. God himself is telling us that. We say that in his baptism. We say that in the calling of the disciples. But the point is he doesn't want to work alone. He wants to do it in relationship with you. The invitation and, and that truth, it was, it was true back then. It's also true right now. 
In a very literal sense, when you become a Christian, you become a critical part of Christ's ministry. When you become a Christian, you become a critical part of what Christ is going to do in this world. Let me show you, 1 Corinthians 1.9. God's going to do this because he's faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you, listen to this, friends. He has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's invited you into partnership with the Son. That's what, that's what the call of Christ truly is. To follow Jesus doesn't mean you just get, give intellectual consent to something. It means you get involved in something. It means you, you go from doing this to doing something totally different. He was inviting Peter, like he's inviting all of us, not just to do something, but to change everything. I love this initial call. Slimy fish for souls. The mundane for a great mission. The routine for the remarkable. The dead ends for raising the dead. Jesus says, stop doing what you're doing by yourself over here and come be a part of something with me. Come and join me. And let's do the remarkable together. And again, the invitation is the same today. I just don't know if many of us believe it. I'm not sure that many of us truly understand the crazy call of being a Christian, just how intense this is, just how involved we're supposed to be. We're not talking when you become a Christian about like making some minor tweaks to your life. It's like, no more cursing and rated R movies. You're a Christian now. I don't know why I have to say it like that, but you're supposed to, right? That's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian says, I'm going to drop whatever it is I have over here, these preconceived ideas, this understanding of of my gifts and talents, the the goals and hopes that I've set up for myself, for my family. I'm going to let go of those, and I'm going to walk with God into something new and something fresh and something totally different. That's what it means to be a Christian, not intellectual consent, I believe. Involvement. Show me you believe by jumping in with him. Show me you believe by jumping out and partnering with him. I love, and I'm utterly amazed by the fact that these guys, the the first disciples, they said yes to the invitation because they didn't know this this guy. Jesus just shows up on the scene out of nowhere. Maybe they've heard some rumors. Maybe there's been some stories going around town, but Jesus is a a known name to them. They have no clue what he's capable of or what he's going to do, and yet when they receive the invitation, that first invitation, what do they do? It says they drop everything and go and follow him. They say yes to the call, even though they had no idea who was calling them. And yet, I think about it, and I was thinking this past week, here we are, and we, we kind of know who the caller is, don't we? Like, we know what he's capable of, and we know how good he is, we know how powerful he is. We kind of know how the story ends, do we not? And yet, when the invitation comes to us, we're kind of like, yeah, I'm not so sure, man. Like, those guys had no idea what was going to happen that very next minute. You and I know exactly what's going to happen. God's going to do amazing things, yet we're still kind of holding back, saying, I don't know if I want to jump in with you, God. I don't know if I want to give you everything I have. I don't know if I want to let go of this certain stuff over here. I don't know. I don't know if I want to follow you. I just, I just don't know. Guys, participating in church is one thing, but partnering with Jesus, that's on a whole different level. Participating in church, yeah, that, that's fine, but partnering with Jesus, that's my hope for you. That's my prayer for you. And here at the, t- the start of 2018, I want those of you who've only been listening to stories about Jesus, whether it's just been today or the last couple of years, the last several decades, if you've only been listening to the stories about Jesus, it's time. It's time right now to follow him. It's time to say, yes, Lord, I will go. To those of you who've been sitting on the sidelines, kind of hanging out, right, in your little boat, your little safety net, 
holding back, holding on, give it to him. Just, just say, okay, Lord, this is the year. This is the year. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to follow you. I'm just going to do what you ask. I'm going to go where you lead. I'm going to follow you. I want you to accept the call of Christ this year, my friend. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. You might think, well, I don't know about this call. It just seems, it just seems like God only calls certain types of people, right? He, you know, he doesn't call those who have all this pain or all this shame. He doesn't call those who have scars or regrets. He doesn't call people who have the problems that I have. He likes to partner with those people who are like clean and neat and tidy and holy, have all their stuff together. No, no he doesn't. <laughs> he just doesn't. I don't know who told you that or where you read that, but it's just not true. It's not in the Bible. See, God calls everybody, especially those whom the world has given up on, especially those who have given up on themselves. That's who he actually prefers to call. He loves to call those. See, after calling Peter, Mark tells us in Mark chapter two that Jesus calls somebody else, and it's someone you would have never expected, and it's someone that you and I probably wouldn't have chosen or called. Uh, watch this. They're stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from them. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other one. tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, thieves, adulterers, or this tax collector. But the tax collector. didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself for be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. to follow him. One has to wonder of the sins committed by his other followers. If you've seen that series before, I don't know if you noticed that, but the, the guy who's bald right there, that apostle, that was actually Thomas. 
I mean, it's just biblical. It just has to, it just goes together. But in the first century, tax collectors, they're, they're more despised than, oh, I don't know, probably egocentric, bragging patriot fans. The world just kind of hated them. Uh, see, the Jews hated the Romans for a lot of different reasons, but primarily because the Romans put such heavy taxation on the Jews. They had to pay them for everything. All their hard-earned money just went to the Romans. And so a tax collector was a Jew who was working for Rome to collect all those taxes. I don't know about you, but when you hear that somebody works for the government, you're kind of like, oh, really? When you hear they work for the IRS, it's like, okay, you stay over there and we'll all walk this way. Imagine that just magnified a hundred times over. They were despised. They were seen even by their friends as sellouts, as cheats, swindlers, working for the man, stealing all their hard-earned money, all of God's hard-earned money. And yet one day in Mark chapter 2, Jesus walks up to a tax collector, a guy named Matthew, someone who's despised, someone who's totally looked down upon in that society. And he says that I want to use you. I want you a scoundrel and a sellout. Whatever anybody else says, I want to use you to do the remarkable with me, Matthew. And so I don't care, friend, if you have made a mess of things up until this point. I don't care if your past is riddled with regrets. I don't care if you're successful or not in the world's eyes. I don't care if other people, even those in the church, have turned their back on you. You are invited right now, in this moment. You are invited to be a part of all that God wants to do in this world. You are invited to be a part of the remarkable mission and ministry of Jesus he personally invites you. There is room for you in God's economy. There's room for you in God's economy. No matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, God doesn't just want to change you. He wants to change people and classrooms and office spaces and corporations and families. He wants to change all of that through you. you. See, God doesn't want to just change you. He wants to change people and situations and circumstances and classrooms and cubicles and neighborhoods. He wants to change all of that through you. See how much bigger this is than we normally assume? For many of us, life has probably been a certain way for a long time, a certain way that maybe we hadn't planned on or hoped for, a certain way that we're not really thrilled about. But Jesus says, listen, I can change all that. I can change all that if you just follow me. If you want to come be a part of this remarkable thing, I can change all of that as long as we loosen our grip on certain things and let them lead us. So, as we end, uh, this year I want to be a church. I want to be a church that boldly proclaims this truth and this invitation to one another, but also to the community. I want us to boldly proclaim that Jesus is calling you, man. Jesus is inviting you into something so much bigger. And church, the first 12 disciples, they were about as odd and diverse as you could possibly get. You had guys who were, who were strong Jews. You had guys who, who hated the Romans. You had guys who wanted to kill the Romans. You had guys who worked for the Romans. Imagine what that little small group gathering looked like on a Sunday night. Like, I want to sign up for that group just to see what kind of drama comes out of it. But that's, that's who was invited. It was anyone. It was everyone. And so church, will we be that community? We'd be that for each other. I'm praying, I am praying, West Bowles, that a lot of random people start walking into these doors. That a lot of folks that don't look a certain way start walking into these doors. And that our message to them is the same message to our own kids, or our own friends, or those we've known for years in this place. You are welcome here and you are invited. You are invited, teen mom. 
You are invited someone who's struggling with sexual identity. You're invited someone who's made a mess of multiple marriages. You're invited someone who's got all kinds of addictions and, and, and struggles. You're invited to be a part of the remarkable. Amen? That's who we're going to be. And if that's you this morning, no, you're invited in this place. And if somebody chatters or chirps or says something otherwise, they're just wrong. You are invited. Jesus says, come. Come on. Come be a part of this with me. Let's do the remarkable. Let's do it together. I don't know about you, but the fact that the God of the heavens wants to partner with someone like me, well, that might be at the top of my most remarkable things list now. Hopefully it is for you as well. Let me pray for us and we're gonna do one thing together as we end. God, you are an incredible, remarkable God. We see that through your word and, and we see that right off the bat here in the gospel of Mark. You're even greater than the greatest prophet to have ever lived, John the Baptist. You are so great, God, that when your son was baptized, the heavens were open and, and, and your voice came ushering down from the skies and Lord, you are a remarkable, your son is a remarkable person. And what's amazing to us, God, is that Mark tells us right off the bat that he's inviting every single one of us to be a part of the remarkable with you. That you don't want to just do things to us, you want to do things through us and with us, God. And so I pray that in 2018 that we are that church, that we are those people, that we're like Peter, we're like Matthew, we're holding on to things. We've got some preconceived ideas, we've got some plans and expectations, we've got some hurts, we've got some desires, and they're kind of all mixed together. Would we let go of those? We just say, okay, Lord, I, I loosen my grip on all these things and I'm going to follow you because I want to be a part of something. I want to do something. I want to see something. Now that's our hope and our prayer this year for every person in this room and this whole church that we would respond to the invitation of your son. We would also extend the invitation of your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.